Welcome to Connection Privé, podcast discussing all about networking and human connection. I'm Clémence, I'm the CEO and founder of PR luxury agency Clementine Communication. I'm thrilled today. I'm interviewing one of my dear clients, the owner of Chateau de Pomar. But not only the owner of Chateau de Pomar, Michael Baum is an American entrepreneur and an investor. He's best known as the founder and CEO of Splunk, a big data software technology. He's also the founder of six technology startups, five of which have been acquired and one which went public. He's now, as I said, in Burgundy. He's been spending the past six months in France, confined, not able to go back to the US where his family is from. And we're about to talk to him about his conversion from the technology world to the wine world, his passion for wine, his passion for education, his passion for recruitment and getting the right person within your business, how this can make a massive difference and impact to the growth of your company. I'm thrilled and we are welcoming now live Michael. Michael, how are you? I'm good, Clemence. How are you? I'm, I'm doing okay. Thank you very much. It's not quite over here in London. Uh, we don't know if we confined, still confined, not confined, if we can go out or not. But life carries on, um, despite school still being closed, which is, I think, the main pickle for me. I am still working from home and I have three little ones running around. <laughs> Which is difficult. So, t- uh, yeah, I oh, don't know how to say it. Well, I guess, talking about children, you've been confined in France, if I'm correct, for the past three months. Yes. Uh, how has it been? I've been, <laughs> I've been confined at Chateau de Pomar in Burgundy. Um, it's uh, a very nice place to be confined if you have to be confined. <laughs> Tell- We have uh, 20 hectares of vines here with uh, horses and, um, you know, we make wine and burgundy. So it's a, it's a nice place if you have to be stuck somewhere. Tell us a bit more. What do you see through your window now? Tell us, paint us the story. Uh, well, I'm looking out on the Clos Marimonge and uh, as I said, it's 20 hectares of a Pinot Noir vines uh, in the village of Poma. And we have around this uh, 20 hectares, uh, two meter stone, wall uh, that was built in 1800 and uh, there are two chateaux that i look out on one uh, the chateau mico which was built in 1726 and the chateau marimonge which was uh, completed in 1802 so it's uh, a very historic but also a very um, agricultural area uh, as you would expect in burgundy so how did you michael American citizen ended up buying an estate in France and in the wine industry, which is not your your background. No, not at all. I come from the tech industry in Silicon Valley. Um, it, uh, you know, I suppose it was something that was like a lifelong dream to uh, do something different, maybe have um, a different pace to life. I mean, I'm still very involved in the tech industry, but this is a nice balance where the frequency here is measured in decades, not in minutes um, or milliseconds, as it is in Silicon Valley. 
So quite quite a big change. When did the love for wine came up in your career? How does that work for man in the tech suddenly <laughs> fall into wine and perhaps spirit one day, God knows, but you know, for now wine? <laughs> Probably about 30 years ago when I got married. Ah. Um, my, my wife and I are both from Philadelphia in the US and you know, we drank beer growing up, not wine. But uh, when we both moved to California after school, and decided to get married. Uh, we uh, we got married in the wine country in California, in Napa Valley. And uh, truth be told, I never really took much of a liking for uh, the wines of, of Napa Valley, being higher in alcohol and mostly Cabernet Sauvignon, um, much more tannic. You know, the weather there is very warm. The soil is, is very volcanic. Uh, so you have a very different uh, type of wine. But we, uh, we came to Europe on our honeymoon and I found I just fell in love with French wines. And uh, I'm an engineer by training and I got very curious about why are the wines in, in France and in Europe, uh, these old world wines, so much different than new world wines. And they all came up. So it goes back about 30 years, you know, this mm -hmm. fascination with wine. That's so good. Um, I guess I've got to congratulate you for being with your wife for 30 years. You mentioned 30 years anniversary, if I'm correct. Well, maybe like, for example, the lockdown, it's a good thing that she's in San Francisco and I'm here in Burgundy. <laughs> <laughs> and you're, she's with, so she's with your sons. You've got two boys, if I'm correct. Right. I can imagine how many COVID-19 divorces there will be, right? Yeah. Don't. Well, well, we'll study that in September. It's, it's, it's the well, next, and, next and, call. And babies made too, right? COVID babies. <laughs> By default. Yeah, no, fair enough. We will see the effect of all that, I guess, within the coming months. I'm uh, longing forward to that. Um, but congratulations. This is a good thing. And I think your wife is very involved in your business because I can see her name on the labels of your bottles as well, isn't it? So you, you share the business. You co-founded this this. Yeah, we share the work on the business and she's much more involved in the, um, the restoration project and I'm more involved in the, uh, the winemaking and the business side of things. Cool. So how long are you staying in France for? Do you want to go back soon to the US? Well, I've been here since January and wow. she left in March to go back when the lockdown started. Uh, our lockdown just eased here in the last few weeks. And now San Francisco, uh, where we live, is still on lockdown. So um, I'm not sure when I will go back, because if I go back to the U.S. today, um, it's not clear, according to the French government, if I can come back to France and when. Uh, so <laughs> it's very much up in the air at this point. So hard. Um, and as you know, this podcast is all about the power of human connection. So I guess you have, you must have missed your, your family quite, quite uh, big time, I guess, during this time. Um, what's your best way, you from the techie world, what's the best way you, you've managed to keep in touch? How have you managed to keep in touch with everyone? Uh, I think between, um, you know, FaceTime, Zoom, social media, uh, allows me to, to at least have a bit of a digital connection to people. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult, right? Because it's nine hours time difference. Yeah, true. And, um, six hours, I have my parents on the East coast. They're still in Philadelphia is not so difficult. You still get a good part of your working, waking day overlapping. Nine hours is much more difficult. Mm. 
Oh well, good luck. Hopefully, you'll see them in the in the summer. <laughs> yeah. it's, quite, it's quite tough. Well, for we've everyone. missed each, We've all missed each other's birthdays, so that part's fast. And wow, bigger celebration, I guess, when when you will see each other. <laughs> uh, what does human connection looks like actually in the world of uh, of technology? Going back to your previous career, I guess, while well, you still involve mm -hmm. a lot in tech, but um, what does it mean actually in technology? Do you think? Well, I suppose it's taken a lot of getting used to in the wine world where it is more about human connection because in uh, I find in Silicon Valley where I've been for 30 years in the tech world, it's it's a lot more impersonal. Um, you know, we move so fast, uh, we communicate almost entirely digitally. Uh, I talk to very few people on the phone in Silicon Valley. Um, it's, it's all text message, zoom meetings, emails, um, very little in-person meeting. Really. And I think that's, that's becoming even so more so the norm now for investor calls, but also customer calls. I look at, uh, all of the companies that I'm on the board of and work with, and so much of their work has really accelerated since COVID to be done online. Um, and it's, it's quite, it's, it's quite interesting to see how clever, uh, a lot of the younger people are who run companies doing even complex customer engagements for fairly complicated products online. Yeah. So is that, is that something that you trying to come to bring this technology to the wine world? Have you got, have you got something cooking there? We, we are, but I would say one of the real difficulties in the wine world is wine is a, um, it's a sensorial product. Mm -hmm. It's an emotional product. And I think it is more difficult to replicate the human connection online than it is with something that is more of a, a B2B sale where you have a very hardcore value proposition with a return on investment. Um, a pain point that you're solving. Um, I mean, truth be told, nobody really needs wine, right? We can all live without it, but it's, um, it's one of those things that enhances people's lives. Um, is often uh, a product that's involved in celebration, uh, getting together. So if we're going to try to bring the idea of experiencing wine online, Um, we, we have quite a bigger obligation in, in trying to figure out how to preserve the human connection, as you call it. Yeah, well, if, if you find a better word for it, I think it's a big thing in the hospitality industry. And I think lots of people have suffered quite badly of this lack of, of connection. But again, perhaps it's a cultural thing. Perhaps in the state, as you say, people do network more on social media or just getting on the phone and a Zoom call is enough. Perhaps us more in Europe, me from France, you know, we, we like this kind of contact and face-to-face -face, uh, and we're missing that uh, at, at the moment or we need to be educated to move towards where you are already in the States, you know, perhaps it will take just a little bit more time. Um, uh, I spoke to an Italian gentleman on, on the show recently who really suffered from the lack of contact and networking, that's for sure. <laughs> well, and I, I, I think depending upon how much of a... Uh... A people person you are um, that can definitely affect individuals very differently uh, during this kind of a, a pandemic as far as the the wine goes uh, and the wine business 
as I mentioned, it's a it's a sensorial product, right? To experience wine, we we look at the appearance, we um, we take it on the nose, um, we taste it on the palate, um, and all of this is a very complicated sensorial experience, including the place where the wine was made, the people who are making it, the terroir that it comes from. Um, it's you know it's absolutely a requirement that people still have the wine to experience, even if we are talking about the wine online with them, uh, like you and I are today. Um, it's very difficult for them to experience the wine um, without having the wine in their hands. So, you know, one of the big challenges we've been solving is how to get our wines to people um, quickly and economically and in good condition, um, because that is an essential part of a virtual wine experience, having the wine to, to actually taste. Yeah, so you, you clearly are a people's person because you, you've got the concept in mind and you want the wines to reach people's mouths and you want to educate, I guess. So um, I, I think it's a very wise idea. I'm passionate about wine, as you, as you know, uh, amongst luxury products. Um, and I really think it's, uh, people need to experience. Have you reopened the chateau, by the way, for people to experience in person and come and see you? We, we reopened uh, on June 1st, mm -hmm. and um, it's it's quite interesting because, as you know, we we normally welcome uh, about 30,000 clients here a year, and last year, wow. in 2019, we had clients from more than 92 countries. Uh, it's a very eclectic mix of people that, that find their way to Burgundy as, as really the homage to wine, uh, you know, a place where... Uh, it originally started the fine wine trade. Um, the uh, the change this year has been um, we don't see any Americans, we don't see any um, people from Asia um, because these countries are still blocked uh, in terms of traveling to the the European Union and France. Yeah. So we're seeing a much higher concentration of French, Swiss, Belgique, uh, Germans um, here than we normally do. And people are very eager to get out of the house um, and to experience something different than sitting at home. Yeah, absolutely. That's going to be, yeah, yeah. it must be quite, quite difficult for, for the travel industry at the moment. I cannot, I cannot even think about it. Um, but they're not going to be the ones suffering on the back of this, of this COVID. Um, how have you been impacted, actually? Has it been really bad on Chateau de Pomar? over the past few months, depending on the market, I guess? How, how is, what's your well, feeling? Since, since we've reopened, our retail traffic has been outstanding. Uh, I think we've been really impressed at the number of clients, um, the average order value, uh, the amount of money clients are spending uh, is up significantly over the last couple of years. Um, and considering that the mix is, is mostly local, versus Americans, uh, Chinese, uh, Japanese, um, that's, that's pretty overwhelming for us. Um, during the lockdown, we, um, we took our experiences online, mm -hmm. and uh, that was quite interesting. We had a few thousand people over the course of two and a half months that took experiences online with us. A few thousand people, you said? Yeah, it was, uh, I think, quite successful for wow. us. And will you will you carry on? We we are carrying on with that. 
Um, we are launching a, uh, a new platform this fall called Vivant. And Vivant is um, not only a platform for us, but for other responsible winemakers around the world to be able to offer digital experiences um, and reach consumers around the world and connect with them in ways that they would otherwise not be able to. So we've, we've learned a lot during this lockdown period and in, in the couple of years prior to that when we were remaking the, uh, the concept of an experience here at the Chateau. And we're now opening that up to other uh, responsible winemakers as well. That is so exciting. So when is the big launch for Vivant? When are we expecting it? Uh, it will be in uh, late September, early October of this year. Very good. So for us all to, to watch the space. Uh, looking forward to this new technology and new platform, absolutely. And you bringing your background as a, a, in tech, now moving to your love for wine. So absolutely looking forward to that. Um, just a little bit more for on the human side. We tackle a little bit about the networking. Some people don't like this word networking. They'd rather use something else. Um, you, you've got a very successful career and you've, you're part of many boards now. Um, do you network? Is it still part of your life or how do you get to know people and keep in touch with everyone? I'm probably the world's worst person at networking. Um, first and foremost, I'm not much of a people person. Despite what you say. I'd, I'd rather deal with machines and people. They're, they're better behaved. <laughs> <laughs> Easier. Uh, I would say that, you know, uh, almost 100% of my professional networking comes out of the course of doing business with employees. Um, I spend a lot of my time, at least 60, 70% of my time recruiting. Okay. So I meet a lot of people through that. Um, I love to be with customers. Um, so I would say it's less overt networking and more in the course of, of growing the business. Mm -hmm. And in, in this respect, I'm fascinated by people. Um, As, as far as recruiting goes, I, I have a whole A-player recruiting methodology I've built over the years that I train all of our managers on. Um, a lot of this is based on um, people's thinking styles and how to take someone in a quick interview, break down their thinking style, meaning the way that they collect, process information, make decisions. Um, is it complementary? with the organization and the role, um, not meaning you're looking for a particular, you know, one size fits all, but we're trying to build diversity of thinking styles into the organization. Gosh, I'm now thinking, yeah, tell me. For no, no, example, please. if I have a marketing, I'm interviewing now for a, a marketing CRM specialist. Okay. And here, you know, we really need someone who's a logical thinker, yeah. um, who is very much, um, of the mindset of, of wanting to plan things out in, in detail. And that would be in contrast to looking for, um, we're looking for a new recruiting manager now. And here I really need somebody with more uh, relationship type skills. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of very interesting science on this. Um, there's a man named uh, Ned Herman Um, who really pioneered this whole thinking style brain science back in the 1950s and 60s. 
And a lot of what we use uh, in A player hiring is based on his research. And does it work? Do you feel you've got you've got the right partner within within your business? I, I won't say that we don't make any hiring mistakes. Of course we do, but the goal is to make fewer hiring mistakes because every every time you make a hiring mistake, it sets you back. Oh yes, as a small business, I know. Yeah. But I think it also helps us manage the team better. You know, we're very we're we're growing very quickly. We've we've doubled the number of employees in the last nine months. Wow! And that means that there's a lot of new people here who don't know the other people. Yeah. Um, so we um, we have an internal uh, Facebook, if you will, where we have a profile of everyone and their picture and what their role is, but also their thinking style. So for the very first time, you have a, a Zoom call or a meeting with somebody, you can understand a little bit about the way that they think and not just how they might make decisions, but what they need to make decisions. So I'll take myself, for example, um, as I said, I'm not much of a people person. Um, when I arrive at a meeting, I'm not one of those kind of people who likes to chit chat. I've not, I have noticed, my... actually, I have to say, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of people on my team that like not only like to do that, but they need to do that. Yeah. It's their warm-up to getting engaged in the topic at hand. Um, so I have an agreement with my with my executive team here. We're on Mondays, you know, every morning, uh, every week at, at 10 in the morning, we have our executive meeting, and I show up 10 minutes late so they can do all their chit-chatting. <laughs> and they get what they need, I get what I need, and everyone's happy. This is brilliant. Well, at least they know. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. No one is but upset. They also, but, but they also know that I need certain things. For example, um, I have a lot of what we call yellow quadrant in my brain. Um, and that is more on the big picture, you know, visionary side. I can't get into the details unless I understand what the big picture is. So they have learned whenever we're talking about a subject that if they want me engaged faster, they need to frame up the big picture before we dive down into the details. So the, you know, a lot of what we do is making sure that you understand what you need, but you also understand what other people need so that you can provide it and have more effective communication, shorter meetings, better outcomes, and better decisions. I clearly need to learn from you a few, a few things. I have to say, I thought I run quite a few business over the years. Um, I've recruited quite a few people myself, but I am absolutely fascinated. Slightly scared than the first time I've met you. You've probably analyzed me like crazy over over 20 minutes, thinking, is she going to be right for the job? For everybody's sake, I run the PR for Chateau de Pomar. So here we go. <laughs> But it's fascinating. You know, I, ran, I ran one of these um, A-player hiring seminars at MIT a couple of years ago. They have a, uh, a course in the business school there called um, Founder's Dilemma. Yeah. And... It's, it's a course that's run after the same title of the book, which is a great book, by the way, for your listeners, if they want to learn about the challenges of starting a company and dealing with people. Mm -hmm. And we did this thinking styles exercise, and I was able to walk around the room. Now, imagine there's about 250 people in this you know, large um, lecture hall and just look at the, the output from this exercise that people were drawing in front of them. 
and I could, it was, it was just after the last presidential election and I was able to tell people very accurately who they voted for. Amazing. That is, that is, I, it's such a skill. I'm, I'm, I'm in, in the out. I have to say it's, uh, it's something that I, um, it's something that I have got, I'm gifted a few things, but I'm definitely not good at recruiting. So there's something I will need to pick up from you, Michael. <laughs> More calls on that later. Uh, thank you. Quite frankly, fascinating. So I'm doubting that you're not a people's person. Despite everything you say, I'm still thinking inside. Actually, you absolutely love it. You love the human contact. <laughs> we'll break you. We'll crack that out. <laughs> Take a while. Oh, but thank you, Michael. And for whoever is listening and in terms of coming, so I guess um, back a few years ago when you started your career, um, that human contact and moving on to your first job, uh, do you think it's important for people getting into a new industry to uh, network, to go out to various events, uh, to talk to people, to exchange and to understand the new industry they're going into? Uh, do you feel this is one of the priorities they need to, uh, to focus on? I think it's important to do that if for nothing else than to understand the kind of environment you would be working in in different industries and different types of companies. Um, and I know I would have made fewer mistakes early on in my career if I had done more of that. Oh, here we go. That's a good way of ending this podcast, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> learning from the best i thank you so much michael i'm i'm, I'm um, greatly appreciative of your of your time because i know we tried a few times to speak and you are always so busy um many thanks good luck if you're flying back to the u.s at some point this month uh, and you can find your family again and i shall see you again very soon Thank you so much for listening to Connection Privé, a podcast produced by Clementine Communication PR Agency. This episode was mixed and edited by Chris Osborne. For more insightful interviews about networking and the power of human connection, make sure to subscribe to Connection Privé on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And if you like what you hear, please leave a review in the Apple Podcast Store or tell a friend about us. I'm your host, Clémence de Crécy, and I hope to see you again soon. À bientôt!